welcome to Athlete on Fire. I'm Scott Ginger, host, and we're joined with another athlete here to bridge the gap between amazing athletes and everyone else. Today's no different. We have, a, we have an interesting athlete who founded Wheel Wide. You can check that out at wheelwide, W-O-D, like workoutoftheday.com. So be sure to check that out before we get into the bulk of the show. If you guys want to learn more, you can go to athleteonfire.com. We have all of our projects, all of our side projects, resources, and, and everything you need to know over there as well. Uh, if you don't know where to listen to us or you want to have us live streaming to your device, uh, we do have an app. That's just search Athlete on Fire in Google Play or in uh, iTunes or I, uh, Apple Store. Yeah, the App Store. Uh, so that's the best way to find us. So I like to just dive in. I I know our guest as much as uh, trying to troubleshoot technical issues yesterday. So that's the extent of our relationship. I was introduced by another guest, um, so uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see wh- a little bit more of what his story is. I've read up on him. It seems like a very similar person to me in, in a lot of ways, so I'm excited to see um, when you took you, you took kind of a 90-degree angle at some point in your life, kind of, kind of, a little bit, yeah. and, yeah. Uh, and I, I can't wait to hear uh, the story and where you are now and the things you're working on, because you do, are you, you're a co-owner for a, a CrossFit gym up in in uh, Collingwood? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we own uh, we own a box CrossFit industry up in uh, Collingwood. We got about uh, 300 members, uh, 7,000 square feet. And um, it's uh, it's just, it started as a small kind of half car garage and has grown to what it is now over the last uh, six years. Hey, Chris, I've been doing this for like almost four years. Usually at some point during my intro, I do introduce the guest's name. So this is Chris Stoutenberg. <laughs> It's awesome. I was just thinking, I was like, oh, maybe if you want to. So I was introduced to you um, by the Good Leg Project people. Yeah. And uh, he's doing some awesome stuff. You guys can go listen to that. I think it was episode 186, but I'll put it in the show notes. Um, And he's just doing some really cool stuff with San Francisco, CrossFit, and uh, the Mobility Wild guys down there, Kelly Starrett, and, and some of the big dogs in the industry. And uh, he, he, I, you know, when I get off the line with everybody, I always ask, "Hey, do you have somebody who thinks good for this platform for the type of show that we're doing?" So you were the first person that came to mind. Um, he introduced you to, as, as Stouty. Is that a nickname, or is that is that what you go by? Yeah. So uh, last name Stoutenberg. It just uh, my grandfather had it. My father and uh, just pass it along. It's just uh, I have two boys, so I don't know which way they'll go. They'll fight over it, or they'll both be Stouty or Stouty one and Stouty two. Who knows? But it seems to just <laughs> pass along as uh, to the male and the family so no oh, it's such an easy one such an easy one all right so yeah i, I just want to get to know you man so tell us a little bit about your story you're, fr- you're from uh are you from collingwood originally yeah born and raised uh i did um a lot of sports uh been an athlete pretty much all my life i started very early uh growing up in canada uh your first thing you do is either hit the ski hills or the ice rink. So uh, I did both. Uh, I was skating and skiing probably by the time I was three years old. Um, from there, I went uh, dove into you know playing hockey to basketball, uh, football, soccer, baseball, basically anything that was uh, out there to play. I played, and uh, from that, uh, I actually dug into more of the extreme sports side. So skateboarding, BMX, biking as a teenager, but still always having. Um, a team sport kind of background where I, I was always either playing hockey, baseball, or uh, basketball, or uh, football. The the main ones that I ended up focusing on as I got uh, 
got kind of where I wanted to be specific was football, uh, right up until, uh, university. Uh, my first year coming into university was, uh, I was playing football for university of Guelph. And then, uh, if you, if people know my backstory, I, uh, I then had a, an accident and broke my back. So from there, kind of my life swapped around, but, uh, leading up to that, that's basically every weekend, every day playing some type of sport, uh, always kind of on a field or, um, or out on my own doing some extreme sports stuff. Yeah, cool. And we'll and we'll definitely um, get to the backstory. Did you mean to do that? Yeah. Did you do the backstory? Did you do that pun on purpose? Come on. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> just a little, my backstory. That's just, just a little. Yeah, so, my backstory. So I want to get to that, but for just the childhood thing. So tell me about calling, like your hometown. What's it like? Um, you know, I grew up in South Florida, so I could it's, be further from that lifestyle probably growing up. You know. Yeah, we're pretty lucky uh, where we're calling it a situated. We're right on Georgian Bay, so I'm uh, five minutes to the water, but I'm also right at the base of Blue Mountain, uh, so I'm a five minutes to the ski hill. So uh, t- 10 minutes down the road is Wasega Beach, which is the largest freshwater beach in North America, um, and it's uh, it's just an amazing place to grow up as a kid. So it's only about 17,000 people, but we're a tourist town. So we summer and winter, we are, we basically double that population just with people coming to visit and coming back. Uh, and actually very, uh, high in sports. Most of the teams around here, um, when you go to play somewhere, people are like, where are you from? Collingwood? Where's that? But we're usually in the top kind of rank of uh, the top 20 teams in the, in the province, which, uh, especially in basketball, I coach, under 19 basketball, stand-up basketball uh, rep, and uh, we, we run into that all the time. We'll play up against a, a large city team, and they'll be like, where are you guys from? And I'll say, you know, Collingwood, and they're like, where? And I'm like, by the beach. <laughs> and uh, and then when we beat them, they come back and go again, well, where's Collingwood? <laughs> so uh, we're, yeah, we're, we're, it's a strong sport uh, community, lots of hockey, lots of, lots of team sports. That's cool. It's, is it um, what's the geography? Is it hills, rolling hills, mountains, a little bit of everything? It's a little bit of both. It's just because the way it works, uh, coming straight from the from the water to the mountain, it uh, it basically just sea level to right up into uh, into the Blue Mountains. So it's uh, it's a unique area for sure. There's not a lot of spots like it. Nice. Is that where they had the uh, OCR Worlds last year? Blue Ma- was it? Is it that Blue Mountain? The obstacle racing world championships. Do you know if it was that? That's the same Blue Mountains. Yeah. yeah. I know. Yes. I, I knew it was up. It was, uh, yeah, it's the same mountain. Nice. All right, so playing sports your whole life. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we have a little yeah. delay here. It's okay. <laughs> Everyone saw that happen. Um, so playing sports your whole life. Uh, siblings? Did you have any siblings? I have an, uh, an older sister, uh, and she was the same. Uh, my parents uh, basically – gave us the right to play whatever we wanted to play. Uh, and I, and we both did. We played everything. We tried all sports. Uh, she was a good basketball player as well uh, and volleyball, and she uh, she excelled in track and field. Uh, those were the sports she played, but she did the same as I did. She played every single thing she could get her hands on. Okay, cool. My father also owned a, a sports store as we were growing up, so that made it a lot, uh, oh, a lot easier cool. as well. We had access to tons of equipment. So, Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Was he a good athlete? Yeah, yeah. My dad, uh, he uh, he played hockey for the University of Guelph. I uh, played junior A hockey up here, and he played a little bit uh, with the Toronto Marlies, which is a farm team for the Toronto Leafs. 
So he's a great hockey player. He also did a couple uh, pretty impressive things. He, he raised money for uh, cystic fibrosis by riding uh, his, uh, his speed bike from Collingwood to Windsor, which is basically across the, po- the province. Wow, that's cool. Just to raise uh, money. When I did that when I was very, very little. Oh, that's cool. When he did that. Are your parents still around? No, I actually, uh, I lost my mom to breast cancer when I was uh, just in early 30s. And my dad, just a couple of years ago, had a, a freak kind of heart condition just out on the golf course. It wasn't a condition, it was just a freak uh, thing that, that really is hard to explain. But basically, his uh, aortic valve tore. He was just out golfing and... Uh, it just it's something they said that they would never catch and they would never see unless he was on an operating table. Oh my gosh. That's uh yeah, so I lost them both before I was about thirty six. Yeah, sorry man. It's tough dude. Yeah, no, yeah, no worse. Yeah, it's crazy. Um were you cl- you're pretty close to your dad, I'm assuming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really yeah. good friends. Yeah, yeah. Um all right, so let's get into to uh nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, so let's tell the story because it's a big. It's the biggest part of uh, of everything you're doing. I mean, it's just a huge part of your life, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of where nothing changed, as in sports wise, uh, as in being an athlete. I just changed kind of the way it changed the way I looked at sports. So in '97, uh, I was uh, home for the summer for uh, coming from University of Guelph football camp. So I was just home and uh, was at a friend's place who had rented a, a condo. He, uh, we were on the second floor and out on the balcony talking. Uh, I leaned up against the balcony. There was probably, there was a few people out on the balcony. I, I leaned up on the short side of the railing and before I could even react, the whole railing gave away. So I landed, uh, I fell the two stories down. I landed in probably the only place I could have landed to, to survive that fall was, uh, I landed on a, about a six foot stretch of grass. That was about two feet wide in between a metal bike rack and a cement staircase. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. Yeah. When you, when you look – when I went back to look at it after the accident, you're like, how did I even fall into that space? It just, I guess, was meant for me to be in that space. Um, from that, uh, I was taken straight to Toronto. Uh, I knew – and my friend uh, who got to me first was a, a lifeguard. He pretty much knew as well. He grabbed my foot. And said, and said, don't move. He's like, can you feel me grab your foot? And I, and I couldn't feel anything. And I said, I know what do you mean. And he's like, he's like, don't move. The ambulance got there. They flew me to Toronto right away. Uh, that's the last kind of stuff I remember. And it's a couple of days later when they're waking me up. And uh, I had a surgeon standing over top of me explaining to me that I broke my back at T6, T7, T8, uh, completely shattered. And uh, basically his words were, you are not going to walk anymore. And that's, you know, as a surgeon, that's basically, they give you the bad news right off the hop. They don't, uh, they don't dance around it. They're just like, this is what it is. And from there, this is kind of, that's where my life kind of took a turn. And I've gone a kind of same path, just a different way about getting to it. Yeah. It's, it's great. So two stories, 20 feet, roughly. Yeah. 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 20, 20 feet or so. Did you, did you just fall weird or did you, did you fall directly on your bat? Like how'd you, how'd you land? So I hit feet first. The last thing I remember, I was upside down. So naturally, I as like the railing broke, I was upside down. And as I started falling, I flipped my feet back over. I was actually very good on trampolines and and uh, doing inverted flips. So I knew I was cognizant enough to like get to my feet. 
The problem was the momentum of me when I hit the ground on my feet. I reached back uh, for the ground. So I hit feet first and then reached back for the ground, and my arm went right in behind my back. And right where my arm went across my spine, that's where it broke. Now, the most of the doctors said if I didn't get my arm back, I probably would have been a quadriplegic because I would have hit neck before I would have wow. hit arm. Right? So, wow. so, so you were leaning back. You were like sitting on the balcony kind of, right? Yeah, well, I was just leaning into the railing. So I like feet out in front of me and just kind of put my butt up against the back of the railing and bared the weight, my weight on the railing. When it snapped, I, I reached, I remember reaching for a few things. And re- actually, my one buddy reached out. I remember that pretty vividly, reaching out, trying to grab my hand, and we just missed. And then uh, it, was, it, it was over. It's yeah. just crazy because it's an act that every you do all the time. Everybody yeah, yeah. does every day. Every, times. Yeah. It's yeah, it's just a, kind of one of those fluke things that happen. Uh, a lot of the guys that I've met since then, it's amazing some of the fluke kind of freak stories that happen where, you know, it's not always just a car accident. Uh, I know a guy that broke his neck running on the beach. He tripped, fell face first, and uh, and that was it. I know <laughs> a guy. This, out, I know a guy out here. I, there's so many. Well, you know, we have Craig yeah. Hospital here in town, which is one of the best yeah. back and, or neck and spine places in the world. And I've had clients and friends of family that have been over there. One of the coolest stories ever, and he actually wrote a book about it, was the founder of Remax, Dave Linegar, the real estate people. Um, he founded Remax. The very first client, you know, I'm in health and fitness. So the very first client that I ever had in Colorado was his daughter. And I was like, oh my gosh. Oh, really? Every client I have is going to be a multi-bazillion. You know, it's just it was cool because I, I had insights to his world. Anyway, flash, fast forward to a few years back. Um, he had a really bad uh, staph infection that almost killed him, but it, it launched on his lower spine, and he had to go uh, rehab at Craig. But the reason it was so cool, A, I got to go in and see a lot of the really high-tech stuff they're doing, but mm-hmm. B, he had been, uh, because he was ex-military, he flew in Vietnam and all this stuff, he had been donating to Craig millions and millions of dollars over the last t- 10, 20 years. So, like... The fact that he, you know, like, it's just crazy. Like, yeah, yeah. Then come back and have to use the equipment uh, that he'd been donating to. But yeah, like just these fluke, fluke. I mean, this winter I took a step on black ice and fell like seven stairs down. Yeah. And I just landed, you know, I just, just depends on the landing. Yeah. So the reason I'm saying, the, the reason I like to dive into how flukish this is, is because, um, the the acceptance of accidents in the world. I think a lot of people have a hard time accepting that was just an accident. I didn't do anything wrong, you know. Yeah. Um, how does the acceptance of accidents play a role in how you come back from um, a devastating injury? I mean, that's what it ends up being, you know. Yeah, I uh, for my personality, I, it's this is probably an injury. It's it's weird to say, but it's probably an injury for me uh, that would be better for, than for for others like when i talk to my friends they're like oh i don't think i could do what you've done and uh i didn't i just realized like there's nothing the minute the surgeon said you know you're not going to walk again my next comment was well where's my wheelchair and he's like oh well you know you have like 80 staples in your back and that yada 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 you just had surgery you're going to be in bed for a bit and my next response was was like get me a wheelchair or i'm going to hop out of the bed and he was kind of, he kind of looked at me and I was like, I'm able to sit up. Yes. And he said, yeah. And I was like, then I can sit in a chair that moves. I was like, I'm not going to lay in this bed and pout about this. I want to get going. And he's like, well, we need to go to rehab and you're going to be in rehab for a year. And, and this is a, this is a long process. And this was in June 
And I said to him, I'm going to be back in university in September. Yeah. And, and that's how I took it. So I didn't try to think about, uh, you know, is this an accident or is this, why, why did this happen? I took it straight on the chin basically and said, if this is reality, yeah. then let me get to, let me start dealing with it. And it's not to say like from that day on, I was just, Oh, no problem. It's in the wheelchair. Like I had lots of low days, but that was the way I decided to approach the situation was just to be like, this is what reality is. This is what I've been dealt with. Um, I've got to find a way to make this the best I can make it. And, yeah. uh, and that's kind of how I came to it. I didn't take a lot of time to really overthink it and just kind of dove into it. And that really helped me with uh, my rehabilitation. I was, I did make it back into uh, university. I was out of that rehab hospital in two months. They basically wow. said, I went to, uh, um, oh, what's it called? But Sunnybrook. Uh, and then from there, I went into Lynnhurst Spinal Hospital, which in Canada is one of the best. Uh, and every day you only get an hour with a occupational therapist and you get an hour with a physical therapist and the rest of the day is to you. So I started, I do my appointments and then I would watch the people who had been there longer than me do their appointments and learn what they were going to do. So by the time I had my appointment the next day, I was already able to do those things. I practiced the rest of the day. I went into the weight room. I practiced, you know, hopping over a curb with a chair, transferring in and out, learning how to move. Uh, so when they would say, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this today in the first five minutes, I would do it and say, okay, what's next? I love that. And by the, after two months, they were basically like, we're just nothing we can do with you. You got to go. <laughs> well, that's I was driving people crazy. I mean, that's a pure athlete's mentality. I mean, basketball is a sport that we both play. Like if, yeah. if you don't go in there and just shoot to perfection, you're never going to be a good shooter, you know? No, exactly. And, uh, and even like when I, when I work with private clients and athletes, uh, the first rule is if I'm not ready for you, you better be doing something like you better be warming up or doing rolling out something that, you know, is going to benefit you. Um, yeah. and that mentality, I mean, if you've been to, uh, you know, you've probably been in PT clinics plenty and you just mm -hmm. see people just waiting for the PT to make their rounds. They do their like three sets of five and then they just sit on the table and wait. And yeah. They've already learned enough. You know, it's, it's one of my biggest pet peeves of that part of the industry. Um, but that mentality of just getting after it when you're hurt is, is huge. It's just huge for any injury, not just the one that you had. Yeah. Um, okay, so you had 80 staples in your back. You're you're in the hospital. Uh, you're pretty motivated to get out of there. You do all the base stuff. And, and what I think, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, from a PT standpoint, their goal is to get you to be a functioning human being again. They're not trying to make you an athlete. They don't, they've already accepted that you're not walking. You've probably accepted that you weren't walking at the time with the diagnosis. Um, so they just want you to be functional when you walk out the door. Of course, talking yeah. to you for five minutes, I already know that's not what you wanted. Uh, but talk to that a little bit. You know, They, they let you go. Um, how did you not sit on your laurels? Like, what, what were some things that you did when you got out? Did you start lifting? Were you finding ways to go shoot around still in the wheels? Like, what was that process for you? Yeah, I actually, uh, so in the rehab on uh, one night a month, so I got to do it twice, uh, there was a guy that came in that played wheelchair basketball, and they had a gym inside the, the they had a gym inside the rehab hospital, and to be honest, my first time playing, I didn't understand how wheelchair basketball worked, so I was like, is someone going to, like, be running behind me, pushing me while I dribble or shoot, like, what is this, how does this work, and so I saw this guy go, and the first couple times I tried to shoot a basketball because of where my break and injury was, I was just, my balance was still shit and, and, uh, my it, just strength was, was down. Um, 
so I could I couldn't hit the rim, and I was like, you know, a little bit frustrated by it because I played basketball at such a high level and football at such a high level uh, beforehand. But it just kind of did exactly that. Is like the frustration was like, okay, when that guy left every day, at some point in time, I got in that gym and shot. So by the time he came back the next month. I, I, you know, I, I was making three pointers. I, I was right back into a groove. I'd already figured out how to dribble with with the chair and push at the same time. So when I left rehab and got to, I went straight basically home for a couple of days and moved into the university back into the residence I, instead of living in the house because they had everything was accessible in the one residence, which made the transition a little easier. And I met a kid there, Brandon Cutler, who had uh, cerebral palsy, and he played for a team in Burlington, which is uh, about an hour away from this, the university I was at. And he said, listen, on, on Tuesday nights, I go down, I drive down and practice uh, seven till nine with these guys. Do you want to go? And I said, yeah, this is fantastic. So I, you know, I, I got down there the first couple of times getting into a, like a game atmosphere, like a scrimmage atmosphere was different, but I was catching on pretty quick. And uh, that made me then, want to go during the week time I'd go to the university gym and just practice the stuff that we practiced in practice and no longer than two months of playing with Burlington I got a at that point in time I was 19 so I got a phone call uh from the Canadian team coach and he said we've heard good things about you I've seen some video footage uh I saw you playing a game against London um what's your thoughts on trying out for the Ontario junior team and I was I kind of really caught off guard, but I said, sure, like, where do I got to go? And there's like, drive up to Toronto next weekend. They'll uh, they'll have your name on the list. You'll basically you'll walk on. No one, you know, no one really knew who I was. Uh, and I went there thinking this will be a good learning experience for future years. Uh, luckily enough, I guess uh, I made that team. I was uh, I remember when I got down into the inside the 20 cut, I was like, oh, maybe I. So maybe I got a shot to get a to get a red shirt is what I was thinking, so I could continue to practice. And they basically said, "Listen, you aren't the greatest with your wheelchair, but they're like, we can't teach you, we can't teach people as as quick as you are with your hands and with your shooting and your and your and your dribbling and understanding space on the floor. They're like, we can teach you to push a chair better and maneuver your chair better to be in the flow of the game, but they're like, there's no way that your 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 skill level's so much higher than than even the guys who've been playing." from because I was playing at an able body sport of it. Uh, and a lot of guys, uh, especially in wheelchair sports, not many grow up playing it. Most of the time you've had an accident and then you, you, you evolve into the sport. Uh, odd enough, most of the Canadian national team that I played on is, uh, I think nine out of the 12 guys were ex hockey players. Oh, no way. <laughs> so, so learning to like, who all played basketball at some point in time in high school, but not as their, as their, um, number one focus and that they became basketball players from understanding again like hockey understanding the way spacing. uh spacing and how how plays work so making that junior team was uh was kind of like the fire and so that's you know i'm four months post injury two months into school and i'm on uh the ontario junior team we won uh canada games which is uh all the provinces they, it happens every three years uh so we won the Canada games there. And from that Canada games gold medal game, the Canadian team coach was there and he said, we're going to great Britain next week. What's your schedule like? And I said, uh, I'm sure I can figure it out. Uh, 
and and right from there I went with them. I, uh, tryouts were another in another three months for that that national team. So I went with them on this tour through Great Britain, and uh, and then was invited from there to the tryouts. And so in less than nine months of my injury, I was on the Canadian national wheelchair <laughs> basketball team. And it's never no one's it's, like it's unheard of. Right. It's just uh, it's one of those things that people there was a few coaches that saw me as their leading. I remember there's a coach in Toronto that saw my dad and said, that's your son out there playing uh, with Burlington. And he said, yeah, he said he'll be on the national team. Guaranteed. <laughs> They're like, you could, he's like, he's going to learn so much more with, with the wheelchair. He's like, but his raw skill, they're like, he's going to be on the national team. And, and my dad kind of looked at him and said, okay, yeah, that's great. And, it, and there I was, you know, nine months after the accident happened. Oh my I was, gosh. Yeah, I was playing. That's crazy, man. So the maneuverability, I, I've actually had other um, Paralympians in wheelchair basketball on the show, but the maneuverability, that, when I, when I watch the sport, that's got to be the hardest part. Yeah, it, you know, the, the, the spacing is different because your lateral movement isn't the same as you do in stand-up basketball. You can't just sidestep a pick. Right. So you have, to, you have to understand, you have to anticipate the play a lot more. So you see the play developing or the play coming, and you've got to be able to position your chair. You can't just rely on raw athleticism to do yeah. it. Some guys try to, but if you're, if you're a better thinker than, the, than, than an athlete, you can still play uh, just by understanding kind of and anticipating and seeing plays develop, which I was very good at uh, my entire career playing. I could see a play or two ahead um, and, and anticipate that play. That's why I ended up going from in stand-up basketball. I went from a, like a power forward center because I'm about six, four, six, five, 200. When I was playing at that point in time, I was about 215 pounds. And uh, I went from that to in wheelchair basketball being point guard. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> which <laughs> it, was when you were- it was such a, which when you're playing stand up, you're you're probably like, just give me the ball. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly it. Yeah, I went from the guy who was uh, always asking for the ball to the guy that became the guy that distributed the ball. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good transition, and and uh, I actually grew to really love. Uh, I still used to find myself underneath the net early in my career, trying to get into the post and and bang it around, and then I realized very quickly that the coaches put me in that position because I, uh, it, it is the way that I see the floor and, and would be able to communicate to the other players of, of like how to move and how to get out of position and to see things coming. It, it seems really flowy. It seems, it seems like there's big looping circles more than like cuts and, and, and that's just a momentum, a, a momentum and efficiency thing. I'm, I'm assuming energy saving. Yeah. Yeah. When you get to, um, when you get to the high level, there's a lot of start and stop and we practice a ton of that. Like, so your first push, makes uh it's like your first step so yeah. like when you you get in a triple threat position in stand-up basketball um same thing in wheelchair basketball you'll get rid of the ball and if you can get rid of the ball and get your hands on your wheels and go like explode in that first step you can make a move to the basket and that's uh but at the high high level the the the, the, the ball is moving consistently like we're passing more than we're dribbling yeah. and we're pushing we're pushing the pace up and down the floor a lot. So you don't see a lot of half court sets. We're just moving guys are breaking out on, on uh, like breakouts. If you're slow at all, especially against our national team, when we, when I, with Canada, if you were slow to recover after you shot, we were gone. We would yeah. leak out. There was somebody leaking up the sidelines that wasn't in rebounding position that would just go. And uh, we would throw that full court pass all the time. That's how you do it, man. 
yeah. MX baseball and basketball. We just we used to just run and gun. Um, yeah. I had a call. Oh, I was just thinking about LeBron because he played. Did you watch any basketball last night? Oh yeah. I yeah, guess yeah. Le, I guess LeBron just led like the biggest comeback in NBA playoff history last night. The dude's amazing. Pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. He's. Uh... He's definitely in a in that upper league of his own. <laughs> I have so many I have so many Homer uh, Michael Jordan fans. Like just growing up, and then out here, I, I know so many people from the Midwest, Illinois, Chicago, all that. And yeah. uh, and I just love just starting to because th- like he's putting together a case now where his numbers and and what he's doing is at least arguable, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's he's doing the same thing Jordan did, right? He's making guys. That are decent players. Like Scotty Pippen was, uh, in my books, was a fantastic basketball player. But he was, I think, he was that because of who he played with. Oh yeah. I mean, I think LeBron's making that kind of building that same thing. He's turning good basketball players into great basketball players. He's been doing it since '03. It's freaking unbelievable for 14. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I hope he wins a couple more just so I can mess with my Chicago buddies a little more. <laughs> All right, so you're playing, you're playing, you're getting to see the world. I'm, uh, just from looking at your profile, you're getting to travel to some really cool places. Do you have any cool uh, stories from the travel? Like anything crazy or unique? Oh, yeah. The national, like with the Canadian team, like we hit everything. Like we, we were all across Europe. Uh, we were in the Olympics. So my first year after that nine months, that coming into that, that year um, in 98, uh, world championships were in um, so they were in Australia so that was you know never even come close to traveling that far so Australia and then uh, qualifiers were in Japan for the Olympics and the Olympics were in 2000 in Sydney so that was my my debut really was the the Sydney Olympics where um, I was still considered a rookie at that point in time right and uh, so I you know you take your your lumps as a rookie for sure um <laughs> But uh, I got into the gold medal game at that point in time. I was still playing. I would that would have been the year that I was making a transition to, from a bench, like a six seven man, to, to like the, to a starter. And I got into that gold medal game, and it was really um, one of those things that you then, to me, is like a you know, there's, as a moment as an athlete, you get a moment where you kind of clarity comes. And it was, I think there was twenty, I can't probably 20 points uh, on the board. And here I come into the game and uh, stadium's packed, like full sold out, people screaming. And, you know, the whole time you're on the bench, you're very, very cognizant of how many people are around you and how loud it is. And I remember the first time the ball hit my hands, I never heard another sound. Yeah. And uh, that's when I knew kind of for me, I was like, I was like, this is, I meant to be here. I'm meant to be in this, on this stage. And, and uh, I went perfect that game. I never missed a shot, which was uh, a oh, wow. great way to have your first gold medal game come <laughs> around. Uh, and we took gold that game. So, but to, for something that is in a, as crazy, um, so we finished that uh, when we finished in Sydney. Uh, you know, we had this group of guys who were probably between the age is of eighteen to twenty-two. Like we had maybe one guy who was uh, a little older than that. So you had this young group of guys all fairly, uh, you know, probably hurt between the ages of 12 and, and 19 and, uh, coming from all different types of disabilities, um, amputees, uh, paraplegics, 
different neural diseases. I had a, one of the guys that played on our team had a, had a, a rare neurological disease that like three people in Canada have had before him kind of thing, right? So you see all these different things in, uh, in the Paralympics and then you see, especially when you start seeing all the other countries, you just see different ones. But we, so we went out after uh, we won, we went out as a team and um, kind of toured through Sydney and uh, found ourselves down in King's Cross, which I don't know if you know Sydney or not, but it's like a, a bar district that uh, doesn't close. So it's open <laughs> all night. Like if one bar closes, you can go next door and another one opens. And uh, so we had a, we, we, I think the last I remember that evening is, uh, you know, you had gold medals around your neck and uh, we closed out. And I remember being back on a subway at 8 a.m., coming back to the Olympic Village and uh, two of us had realized we didn't have our accreditation. Oh, so to get back into the Olympic Village, I, me being one of them. Um, and uh, and I remember the security guard saying, you know, you can't come in. Uh, you'll have to send someone in to get it in. And what the ticket all night had been, and it, and it worked there too, was I pulled out the gold medal. And I was like, are you sure? Because there was a few lineups we couldn't get into. The different bars are like, oh, we're not going to be able to fit you in. And, we, you know, you pull out the gold medal. And, <laughs> and uh, so we realized I stayed in Sydney uh, for another week and a half at that point in time. And then I went over, I actually stayed in, in Hawaii and, uh, I used that gold medal to get everywhere. I had it in my, I had it in my pocket at all times. If anybody was thinking at all, like, Hey, uh, you know, we don't know if you guys can get in here or I don't know, you know, if it's, if, uh, if you guys can do this, we wanted to go surfing. And the one guy in Hawaii was like, well, I don't know, you, you know, paraplegics and surfboards. And I was like, dude, I got a gold medal. I can, I can surf. <laughs> it's <laughs> oh, awesome i can't yeah. surf i'm awful that's so funny <laughs> do you still carry yeah. that one? uh well i got a couple more since then so oh that's uh, right <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome <clears throat> yeah uh and conditions wise um i don't know if you if you ever found yourself in south america we played uh one of our pan-american games were in argentina and for like a crazy story for me i already have trouble addressing um, heat regulation because of where my brake is. So right. I don't sweat a lot below my brake. Um, so I tried all the heat's trying to escape out of the top of half of my body. And we played in a gym in Argentina, an open air gym that uh, it was probably 110 degrees. Uh, I don't know what that would be. We were just in uh, Sol de Plas. It was like Sun on the Lake or something. It was the English translation for it. It was right in the kind of in the southern end of uh, Argentina and open air gym. So I'm playing usually, you know, 30 to 40 minutes a game where in here I was playing two minute shifts. I would have to come off to the sideline. They were packing my shoulders and neck with ice uh, for like 30, 40 seconds. And then I'd be back out and then I'd come back off and then come back out and like downing as much water as you can without like overly bloating. Um, but for an experience of like completely different than anything I had ever experienced, uh, in any sport, that was, uh, it was incredible. Just, you felt like you're in survival mode. You didn't feel like you were playing basketball. I just felt like I was just trying to survive to get through the games. And we played the whole series through that. That was Pan American qualifiers for, um, uh, that would have been for Greece in 2004. Wow. You know, it's yeah. funny when I, I, I told you 
I grew up in South Florida. Um, yeah. Cape Coral, Fort Myers, which is like Southwest. And if you go straight across and a little bit south, like two hours away was Miami. And in our summer, which would be AU now, but we didn't do AU. Um, we used to go over to Miami senior, which is a powerhouse in the state of Florida, Florida and, uh, open air, no AC in, in Miami. And we'd, we'd be playing like wow. four games in a day. Cause there'd be wow. basically three or four teams would come and you just round Robin all day. And the problem, I mean, we were kind of used to heat cause we grew up down there, but we, you weren't used to playing like competitively in yeah. like, indoors. The biggest problem, and you probably had this too, was not the exhaustion, although that the cramping happened and all this stuff happened. It was the, the sweat on the floor. You could not keep the floor dry. <laughs> yeah, sweat on the floor and sweat on the ball. Uh, well, I found a ton. Uh, we played a few different places where it was really hot, and it, I ended up starting carrying, putting a towel uh, strapped to the inside of my chair because I would, you know, when you're distributing the ball and, and especially with breaking the press and what whatnot, dribbling uh, in wheelchair basketball, every two pushes you could actually put the ball in your lap. Or sorry, you can put the ball in your lap for every two pushes, then you have to dribble. At this level, if you put the ball in your lap, you'll get it taken. Uh, but when you have uh, some space, like if the press backs off or whatever, a lot of times I'll dribble, push it in my lap, take two hard pushes, then dribble and get to get moving. But you're sweating so much. So you put that ball in your lap and the ball you throw it back in your hands and it would be like soaked, right? Like yeah. all the sweat coming off your jersey would be all over the ball and be soaked. So I started like lacing this towel kind of on this I, I, I strap my legs to the chair so like if I flip the chair I can pop back up without having to, to fall out it becomes attached to you so I started covering my straps with towels so I could like put it on there nice. and that way like if I got especially in the hot places if it was too wet you could just kind of quick spin the ball in your lap before you put it to the ground and uh to dry it off but yeah that's the exact same thing the floor is always wet tires and then with tires or shoes it doesn't matter right you start losing grip it's it's over <laughs> it actually brings up a good question so Comparing and then after after this question, we're, we're going to go on to more modern stuff, to the things you're working on because it's interesting. Sure. Um, comparing stand up ball to adaptive in the wheelchair from a physical standpoint, like the effort, like which one was? How do you compare the two energy wise? Like what, what's harder? When are you more worn out? Like or does it even compare? Can you even compare the two? Oh, you definitely could compare the the biggest thing that people don't realize. Um, until they actually do it. You can hear somebody say it until you actually do it. Think about um, running on your hands and then trying to shoot, yeah. right? So in, in stand-up basketball, your legs get tired, but you're, you know your shot usually doesn't – as long as you're disciplined, your shot usually doesn't drop, whereas in wheelchair basketball, you really have to shoot a high volume of shots to be able to shoot through being tired yeah. because uh, – uh, you're shooting with the same things you're 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 run, basically running with pushing right. So you're yeah. using your arms the entire time. Uh, so for me, that was uh, the the where I would say the game is harder because everything else stays the same. The three point line is the is the FIBA line, so it's the foot off the arc. Um, it's uh, everything stays the the quarters of fouls. Nothing changes that way. Everything's the same distance, and that's the same height. So momentum becomes your ability to jump so like to get you know to to increase distance in a in a stand-up game you bend your legs and jump to shoot a little farther whereas in a wheelchair you want to take like a, an extra little push with the momentum behind you allows you to cover that distance oh, uh, there are still there are still lots of guys who shoot stationary three-pointers 
Uh, I could shoot one of those uh, when I played, but I still preferred to catch on the move and shoot. I'd like to come off a screen, catch it, and, and put it up because then you have that little bit of momentum and you could you get a better touch on the ball. But the biggest, the toughest part, it's very, very similar. Scores are about the same. Pace is about the same. You're still flying up and down the court. Um, but, yeah, it's just uh, having the ability to, to keep the stamina and strength in your arms in the fourth quarter usually is where it, uh, where you really notice that like you're focusing and you need to have – basically a ton of muscle memory to remember just to, to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, uh, I had one of the guys, my dad coach, who's about five years ahead of me. His name is Pat Burke. He ended up playing with the Phoenix suns. Just a big guy. He like, he was just a tall skinny dude and he just got developed. He finally developed and went pro. And, and one of the workouts he used to do when he was playing in Phoenix was they would go in the weight room for five minutes and just get after it, upper, lower body. And then they go play for five minutes. Full court. Cool. Then they go back. They just do intervals like that, just to get, just to learn how to shoot and play tired. And uh, it's a great skill. I mean, even even to this day, me and my buddy will we'll go play horse or we'll play like full court horse. And for every time you get a letter, you have to do twenty push ups. So you don't want to get the, you don't want to get the first letter because you know how much harder it is to shoot. So it's just a good yeah. Drill. But oh, that's interesting. I, I never would have thought of like the running on your hands and then the shooting analogy. Yeah. So. All right, so we're going to switch up. So you had a you had a really cool career in in the in the basketball thing. And um, well, before we go, how many how many goals did you end up winning? So two Olympic golds, uh, one world championship gold, one world championship bronze, and an Olympic silver. So Beijing uh, was my Olympic silver, and Sydney and, and Greece were the Olympic golds. And then uh, we got in the world championships in two thousand two in Kitakyushu, Japan. We were finished in bronze. And then we won the gold in Amsterdam in 2006. Um, and then I have quite—I got uh, MVP in the World Championships in 2006. That was uh, a, that was a tough year for me. That was a year uh, my mom was on a really uh, decline with the cancer, so she got cleared. Basically, the doctors were like, "You can go or you can't go." Like they, at that point in time, they knew there wasn't going to be a kind of like a cure. Like she wasn't going to come back from it. Uh, she had already gone into remission and came back before, and they were just like, you might as well go. So I got to go. I got to have her come to that. And at that point in time, my wife now, who I think we'd only been going, we'd only been together for about a year at that point in time, she came with my mom, uh, and they got to spend that time together. And I took an MVP of the world there for my uh, disability level and classification level. Um, the basketball works in classifications depending on your functionality. Uh it never, no one said it had ever done it. Like there, it was just unheard of. I was considered what you call a class one. Um, and, uh, and yeah, no low class player had ever been an MVP. It had always been the, you know, the high, the higher class of the amputees and stuff. Uh, so I told my mom going in, I said, I'm going to win MVP. And she, <laughs> and she kind of, she kind of was like, she never really ever doubted me when I would say things like that. Uh, she just be like, Oh yeah, I know. Of course she probably will. <laughs> <laughs> how, how old was your mom when she passed? Uh, she would have been about 55, 55. Yeah. It's younger. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Cancer's crazy. My, my dad had cancer yeah. when he was young and they gave him three months to live and he actually lived. And then he just passed away last October from complications from really complications from the, the cancer, the chemo that killed his kidneys and he was on dialysis now and all just crazy stuff. But yeah, the treatment is almost as bad as the disease. And there's just so much, it's just, it's tough to see, man. Yeah. But that's really cool. You guys spend that. So, uh, where was that one? Was that was that in Japan? That was in Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Okay, Amsterdam. cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so she could do a little uh, pain management up. I'm just kidding. We won't go there. Yeah. 
She had a good time. She was, uh, she's an English teacher and a history major. So she, uh, she had a great time in Amsterdam. She was like, Oh, we went and saw all the things I would never bother to go see when I was there. <laughs> she and Frank Harris and all that. But anyway, so it's another story, but she had, uh, yeah, they had a blast. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. Okay. So let's switch it up a little bit. So you get done with your, your career and what, what did you end up getting your, did you get a degree in school? Yeah. It has nothing to do we with kind of passed over all that, but yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with, uh, what I've decided to do since then. Uh, I have a BA in geography at oh, one go. point in time. Uh, at one point in time in my life, I thought maybe I would uh, be a teacher. Um, that quickly, uh, kind of went off the charts and uh, I just at that point in time was a year or two into my degree and just figured I'm just going to finish this degree I was, was basically going to school to play basketball I played for uh, University of Illinois uh, cool. so I yeah so I played wheelchair basketball down there and lived in just outside of Chicago there in Champaign for four years um, so when I retired uh, from the national team I basically did what a lot of athletes probably end up doing is like, you don't know what to do next. Right. I went from training from six to nine every morning for years, uh, 6am to 9am with the university of Illinois. And then I just kept that habit up after I left the university when lived out in Vancouver. And, uh, and, um, so from there I, uh, kind of was like, what do I do? I haven't had like a, a non, like regiment. So it was trained six to nine. I was in the weight room, uh, four or five days a week at noon. Uh, I was watching video at nights and then all of a sudden I wasn't doing anything. And I was like, I don't know. So at first I kind of almost hit that athlete depression. I was like, I don't feel like I'm, I'm goal oriented anymore. I was kind of like, I don't have a focus. I was just kind of going day to day and, um, and really couldn't motivate myself to want to go and work out either. Uh, I was like, yeah, you know, I can hit the gym, but why? And at that point in time, you know, I was still doing the workouts I was doing was either circuit workouts with when you're doing those by yourself, they're, they're horrible. And, uh, and none of my buddies were interested. They were more like, if we're going to go to the gym, let's just hit the bench and, and do some bicep curls and make sure we look good. Yeah. Uh, less, less functional and less, uh, and very little cardio. Uh, so even when I was in the gym, I still didn't feel like I was accomplishing uh, anything. And uh, I was lucky. Uh, Scott Thornton, who is um, an ex-NHL player, he played uh, San Jose Sharks. He played with the Leafs for a bit. Um, he played out in Edmonton uh, for a little bit as well. He played 17 years in the NHL, very well accomplished, uh, a bit of a bruiser. Anyways, he opened a CrossFit gym here in my in my uh, town in Collingwood. And my cousin had started going and she said, you know, I talked to the, to Scott and he says, why don't you come in and try it out? And this was about, well, this was about five years ago. Um, so why don't you come in and try it out? And, uh, so I went down and I met him on a, when the, there wasn't any classes going on in the middle of the day and he didn't, there, he would already been looking online and he's like, I can't find anybody doing CrossFit in a wheelchair. He's like, I can't find one video, one reference, anything. He's like, I don't. So we're going to have to kind of just do this by trial was basically what it came down to is, is, is we'll just try some stuff out. If it works, it works. We'll make note of it. If it doesn't, he's like, we'll still make note of it because we might be able to come back and do it later. Um, and he basically threw me to the dogs. He said, okay, so that's the, 
the goal, we had like an hour session together and he said, class starts on Monday. I want you in class. He's like, I don't want to do one-on-one stuff. He's like, I just want you in class. And he's like, I want my coaches to learn how to come up with, with acceptable uh, stimulus, stimulus. And he's like, you tell them if it's, if you can, and you tell them if you can't, and we'll just go from there and we'll just document everything we did. So we did that. I did that for, for a year basically of just like trial by error. And when I started, I thought I was fit. I was nowhere close to as fit as I, as I thought it was. I thought like, you know what? I'm pretty fit. Like I'm a pretty fit guy. And the first workout we did, I basically, it took me two days to recover from. I was, (laughs) I was a mess. I was, I was so sore and muscles I'd never even thought of. I had access to were sore. Uh, and from there I just kind of fell in love. I was like, this is where, I was like, this is where I need to be. It's like, I don't need to, I still today, like chase that kind of, you know, you end up chasing that feeling of, uh, I don't know, we call it uh, at our box, we call it the ghost. It's that, that feeling where you're almost like, you know, you're not sure if you should drive home yet. I still chase that feeling because, uh, that's kind of what got me addicted to it. And, uh, from there we've done quite a bit since, um, Did you call uh, it the ghost? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> Chasing the ghost is what uh, what we call it. It's so fun. Well, when you play high level sports, uh, and we'll say like college up, um, yeah, just the dead. I think a lot of people know, but people who don't, I mean, when when I was in school, we would wake up at five. We would be at the gym by five thirty. We we would have a strength coach for forty five minutes, put us through speed and running stuff. After we did forty five minutes in the gym in the weight room. We'd go to class until 2. We'd have individuals from 2 to 3.30. We'd have a break for lunch. We'd go practice from 5 to 7, 5 to 8, whatever it was. Then you'd either study or, in my case, I just went to the gym and played hoops for another two hours because I was psycho, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The nonstop endorphin kick that you get from playing really organized, structured sport and the intensity that you train for it, it's addicting. And when you get out, like, I I know the exact feeling. Like, why do you want to work out? Like, Lifting like most of the population does, just going in there and doing bench and curls and dips, is so no. it's so boring, you know. Yeah. So I know the stimulus you're looking for, and you go into CrossFit and they just they torture you a couple times. You're like, okay, I can do this. At least it's a challenge, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. So CrossFit caught me, uh, and it was uh, the minute I I got into it, I, I I knew I was like, this is the style and the community. And again, like being from a team sport that community aspect is kind of feels the same, right? Like you are an individual, but you're at least with other people together, kind of going through the same crap depending and everybody from every walk of life is in there, which was cool. Um, and yeah, that like from there, we, uh, I basically started journaling, um, and still like would always keep an eye out, like checking YouTube, Somebody else who else is in a in a wheelchair doing this crap like I want some I wanted at that point in time I was looking for someone to compete against or at least exchange ideas against see if there's somebody doing something different and I finally ran into a guy in Texas uh, his g- girlfriend at that point in time his wife now um, she messaged me and said hey I see all your YouTube videos my uh, my husband or my my boyfriend is starting CrossFit uh, can uh, can we pick your brain? Like, can we ask you? And I was like, yeah, listen, I'm not like, I said, I'm not like uh, an expert at any of this. This is just stuff that we've adapted. Uh, and we quickly realized we're not going to adapt exercises to mimic. We're going to adapt exercises to meet the stimulus. Right. So what are the functional things that I can do? Um, 
and it changes day to day still like uh you know if the class is doing squats that doesn't always mean i'm going to do uh the same exercise to mimic a squat it's depending i have to look at how much i load my upper body and and what it is but if the squat if the stimulus is being heavy then i might do you know bench press and if the stimulus is going to be volume then i might do dips and if the you know it changes as or i might not do any like the i always say that the dip is the squat for the paraplegia because the dip is how you get from the floor to the ground you have to have a good upper body strength dip but you know if i've done dips and and bench press and uh shoulder press if i've been pressing all week i was like i'm not going to continue to press just because the class is pressing so i may do you know i, I might do a hit the skier or i might do pull like a pulling motion or i might do a, a core intensive motion and it's just finding that stimulus and relating to the workout so anyways uh angel gonzalez was his name and um and so we started trading ideas i was like here check out my youtube videos uh i had done the open already one time uh so I, I I'd adapted all those workouts and put them up on YouTube. And uh, I was like, you look at those, tell me which stuff you can do and which stuff you can't tell me which way, what do you think you would do? And we just started firing kind of back and forth from there. Uh, and we still do now to this day, uh, developing different workouts and we competed against each other. I actually flew down to Houston and jumped into a competition that he got set up kind of tagged off of a, an able body competition, but we had about five or six guys in chairs from that area uh, Houston area and I flew down just to, to be in it because there was nothing else anywhere else and uh, that kind of is what grew to where I'm at now uh, with the wheel watch stuff uh, that was kind of the spark plug was that first competition I realized if someone grabs this this platform and puts it to the mass and starts reaching out with I had a lot of contacts through wheelchair basketball so I knew a lot of guys that were looking for something to do so I was able to reach out to them and say, listen, hey, like, try this out. This is find a CrossFit box. If the gym doesn't know what to do, tell them to call us. We'll, uh, we'll help the coach start off. Uh, we'll give them some video references. And then you guys just work together. And if you come up with anything new, let me know. And I'll share it with everybody else. And, uh, and that's kind of what uh, now where I'm at now with WheelWatch is uh, exactly what we're doing. It's a free platform that uh, we program five days a week. Whether or not you hit it or not, we show uh, the standing and the seated. So we show two different uh, styles of workouts. Um, so standing could be standing amputees or people with uh, neurological disorders. Anybody who is an athlete that's got a disability but also does it from a standing position versus an athlete with a disability who does it from a seated. And we show both of those every day. Um, and we, we offer an RX versus a, a scaled. And then obviously you can scale more from that but uh uh we give a baseline of that and it's for free and we just uh if you you know if we connect with people and if people come up with new exercises or things to make things uh some of the stuff we're doing better we post that as well we just share uh it's just a place to share ideas and uh That's and cool. start developing a spot for people to be able to work out do you get do you get a lot of people reaching out from the site oh yeah we have uh we get people from all over the world. It's crazy. Uh, I've got, uh, there's like 10 guys in Poland, like in Warsaw, Poland. That's cool. They got a, they, they run a little Instagram site. Now they call it, uh, we, we Warsaw. And it's like 10 guys in chairs that started following wheel at workouts. And oh, awesome. now they do them in Poland. We got 
all over South America. The United States has got a huge uh, population that's falling and going along with us. Uh, we've even got a couple guys in Australia. Uh, that's so cool. It's, I mean, that's the it's cool crazy. thing. Uh, I mean, the podcasting, you know, I get people reaching out from all over the world. That's the one thing I just love because if you take any, even in Denver, like it's a big, big metropolitan area. Um, but if I wasn't going to go through a charity, there's a couple of charities that have great communities for adaptive athletes. If I wasn't going to do that, it would be hard to go round up four or five people that I, A, that I wanted to work out with because you things don't change just because you're in a wheelchair. Like you still have to like the people, no, you know exactly. what I mean? Like you have, yeah, to, you exactly. have to have rapport and get along with the people. So, so your, I don't know, your pool, if you will, just diminishes. So having a, a resource like this is so cool. All right, this is perfect time. So I've worked with, uh, I've worked with clients with everything that you can imagine from CP to amputees, to double amputees and, and high level athletes and potential Olympians and pro all, all these, all these things, everything that you can think of. Um, yeah. this, this one kid who I've been working with since he's 12 and I work with him and his dad together, he has, uh, an amputation and birth defect on his right leg. So he wears a prosthetic. Um, he's not a great runner with it, but he's getting better. Anyway, a couple years, eh, probably a year ago. Um, I was like, all right, Brian, that's his dad. Uh, I don't know. First of all, I know this is not going to mimic Blake's leg, but it's going to be pretty close. You're going to work out. So I tied his freaking, like I got some bungee and I just tied his leg, <laughs> his, his heel back on his thigh. And so you, you would know from a functional standpoint, like the, the weight of his lower leg up on his upper leg is going to make the balance weird, but I didn't care. And we went to a staircase that had a bench next to it. And all we did was stair hops, squats, and some, even the upper body stuff started wearing him out because he was on one leg. Like a push up on one leg is harder, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. So I just destroyed the dude. And like, Blake <laughs> is chilling for once. Like, the, it wasn't even hard for him, but his dad is just like dying. And I'm laughing the whole time because it's hilarious. So, alright, what is a workout? No, I'm not, I'm not talking about tying our legs together or whatever, but what yeah, is a yeah. workout that I can do as an able-bodied guy to relate to what a workout for you looks like, like a specific workout. And I'll go give it a shot this week. Okay. Uh, so we run one in our gym twice a year uh, in my, in, at CrossFit Industry. I, I put the, the every member through it. Um, so you're going to – it's a it's a thousand-meter row, but you take – so, you know, you can take the arm off the uh, off the concept row or you can take the, the – where the seat is, you can take that piece off. You yeah. just pull the top. You can pull that off. So – Basically, all you have is where your feet lock in and the rower, and you're going to put um, put like two 45 plates or, or a sandbag or something on the back of the rower so it doesn't just tip up when you pull. Gotcha. Um, but you're going to sit on a box. Uh, we usually say 20-inch box because that's about the same height as a wheelchair. And you're just going to row with your arms. So you're going to do a 1,000-meter row with your arms. Oh, shit. And then you're going to do a seated uh, – and then it, the, it's a buy-in basically. So you got a 1,000-meter row buy-in. And then you're going to go into an AMRAP of uh, – it's 15 wall balls seated, so 9-foot target, 8-foot uh, for the girls, 20-pound, 14-pound ball still. 20 and, and what? And 14 okay. at, nine, at 9 and 8 feet. Uh, then you're going to do uh, 10 push-ups and 15 strict – or sorry, and 5 strict pull-ups. And you're going to AMRAP that for the for 20 minutes. Oh my so you gosh. do this. So it's it's a version kind of like Cindy, like same style, but uh, it's not the way we would adapt Cindy. But it's uh, so we do that. Um, and then if you want to mimic 
the way I would do it, we say put a 35-pound dumbbell between your feet for the pull-ups because I pull a 35-pound chair with me when I do my pull-ups. Ah, there we go. You're yeah. for real over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, I'm, I'm already sore for the next two weeks. From I said I'd do it this week. I'm going to do it the week after. I need some prep work on this thing. The, yeah. The row, I don't think people would realize how hard the, the non-moving or the seated row, stationary oh, row yeah. is. It's brutal. It'll gas you. Yeah, yeah. It'll gas you out fast. Uh, you, you end up using a lot more um, back extensors in it. So when you come forward in the row, you really want to keep your back nice and tight. So when you, you can get a bit more momentum on the pull, other than that, you're just basically pulling with your arms and you want to be able to use your trunk as much as you can. What's a good time for that thousand? Uh, so I usually row about my 500s about 205, like split. So I would do a, a thousand or like a 410 or okay. around there. Yeah, 205 stationary. That's legit. Dude. Yeah. You're a beast. All right. So I work out with three or four of my buddies every Tuesday night, and it's usually followed by beers, although I put myself on the wagon for some training right now. <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it with them because I think it would be fun to watch all of us really suffer because that's going to hurt. And so I'm going to clear up some terminology for people who don't, might, not, might not know. AMRAP is as many rounds as possible. So you're yeah. going to do that 15, 10, and 5. The wall ball, the seated wall ball, um, just sit in a chair or on a box or what? Yeah, just sit on a box. We usually say about a 20-inch box, 20, 24. Uh, most wheelchairs are about 20 inches. 21 inches off the ground. Okay, and for the men, you're going to take 20 pound, and you got to hit a nine foot spot on. Nine the foot. Yeah. Now there'll be a lot of people that will go to try that and won't be able to do it, and uh, then just what what we tell them at my gym is is hit some hit a mark that you can hit consistently. It's high. Uh, so yeah, yeah it's like throw throw it up a couple times, be like, okay, I think I can hit this mark, and then hold yourself to that standard kind of. So a lot of people end up in the seven to eight foot mark. The nine foot is uh, you got to have some good good oh. upper body strength. Yeah. So if you, guys, if you guys are sitting on a box about two or three feet away from a wall, you just want to hit a spot at its at its peak so that it comes back down at your chest. And yeah. if you're not coordinated, you're probably going to jack yourself in the face. I, I see so many people who haven't come from a ball sports background. They just have the hardest time with wall balls. But that's yeah. neither here nor there. And then uh, 10 push-ups, that's clear enough. And then strict pull-ups. So we're not talking about like kipping and kicking no. your legs all over the place. So you're, you're at a dead hang. Your arms need to be straight at the bottom of that thing. And what would you call the top of a, a strict pull-up? Chin to bar? Chin. Yeah, chin over bar. Yeah. Chin over bar. So there you go. And 35 that's not happening yet. I can do that. I can do reps on that. I can't do AMRAP on that because I'll be done yeah. after one set. That's just ridiculous. Okay, so Stouty has killed everyone who's listening who's going to try this. <laughs> if I can remember, I'm going to video this, and it's going to be just an absolute shit show, and it'll be great, uh, especially with my other buddies who whose upper body is way worse than mine. I'm saying that really quiet, but uh, it's be <laughs> interesting. All right, so we got got a good workout. All right, last thing before we get going, guys, check out willwad.com. The last thing is the business of owning a box. Um, and before that, yeah. industry. What what does that word mean? I've never seen that word. It's got to be a Canadian thing or, or something. Am I missing something here? It's just a play on uh, industry. So okay. we're in uh, we're in the industrial um, where our box is located is is in with a bunch of warehouses and industrial areas. So we just played off of that. Uh, industry was. Uh, was a play on the word of it and uh, just a different spelling. But um, yeah, it's just for that. There's nothing overly magic about it. We're just in the industrial area and that okay. was a good spot. Name <laughs> like, for the box. <laughs> I was like, this has got to be Canadian because I've never heard this word. And then, uh, so you mentioned earlier in the show, how many members do you guys have? About 300, just over. 
Oh, you guys are killing it, man. That's really good for yeah. the box. How big is the the facility? Square footage. It's about seven thousand square feet. So we have about we have one uh, main gym that's about five thousand square feet, and then uh, you can see directly into the other gym. But it's like a what we use for open gym, and and uh, there's a bunch of lifting platforms in there. It's about another two thousand square feet. We also run boxing and uh, MMA stuff out of that gym as well. Nice. What, what what's the secret sauce for your gym? Uh, really, for us, it's um. It's maintaining and the relationships with the people because like, we've been around for a while now. Like it's, you know, six years is a decent time for a, for a box to be in business. So really, our secret sauce is like maintaining the people that we have there. We don't, uh, we've never done and never will run like a discount week. And not to say anything is like is 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 against that for other boxes, but like we don't believe in the fact that we're saying like, oh, if you come, you get your first month free or whatever, or bring a friend and you get it. We don't do that. Um, Smart. If I'm gonna give it, if I'm gonna give a discount, it's gonna be the people who've been here there with me. Yes, that's true. Yeah, the people who continuously show up, and uh, we really focus on community. So we do a lot of fun things as a group. Uh, we take on, you know, things like Run for the Cure, uh, epilepsy awareness. We have a couple of projects that we always take on as a group, as a box, include, and then you know you have the open and stuff. That's the natural. But uh, we have barbecues, and we have, you know, we had a Christmas party. I don't know when the last time. I remember any gym. We had a Christmas party, and there was like 200 people there, and it was a it was an absolute like absolute mess. You get a bunch <laughs> of you get a bunch of uh, really highly motivated athletic people, uh, and you add booze. It's uh, <laughs> it was a different story. It was like one two o'clock in the morning before we could get everybody out. But it, it, that's the kind of uh, atmosphere we like. We like that. We like to train hard, but we also like to uh, have fun. That's, that's kind of I mean, the, that's the philosophy of life, right? Like work hard and play really freaking hard. That's my yeah. that's that's how I take it, man. It's awesome. I Same think here. I think it's awesome the 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 discount thing. Um, personally, in being in this industry for a long time, I'd, I'd rather give away stuff for free than discount it. There's a yeah. psychological thing that goes on in consumers when it's when it's discounted because they're not going to value it. If it's free, no. it's because somebody's in need, in my in my opinion. But if it's uh. That's that's a good move because a lot of people, a lot of gym. It's saturated. We're in Denver. It's a very active place. It's saturated with oh, boxes. Crazy, everywhere. yeah. So if you don't, uh, if you don't stick to your guns, then people take advantage of it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. What did I miss, man? Is there anything uh, amazing or or awesome in your life that that I missed? I feel like we covered a lot, but there's always more. Yeah. One thing uh, that's a really cool project that uh, I did want to make sure I take mention of. Um, so we just finished. Uh, I was in California for. So went last from last Wednesday to Saturday. I was I was in Redlands, California, with Romwat. You aware of who they are? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of those guys. Uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, they do uh, for people who don't. They they do basically a stretching mobility program that um, you know you just throw up on your phone or your computer or your iPad or whatever you got. Uh, you go to the website, you log in. Uh, say you have 15 minutes. Your shoulders are just cooked. You can be like, you can click either the workout of the day, which is the range of motion workout of the day, or uh, or you can be like my shoulders. I have 15 minutes, click, and like 10 videos pop up that will lead you through a series of stretches of things that you can do to mobilize, and you just listen and follow along. So I was just actually there because I've been doing it for about a year, but there's a ton of different, and it's a mix of yoga and 
and just like really athletic stretching. There's, it doesn't have the spiritual side of yoga, but it has like the focus on the breathing and some of the poses and longer holds, uh, yoga does. So I've been following along and working with these guys for a year and there was still quite a few things that, uh, I just couldn't adapt or find a similar purpose for. Uh, so there'd be videos that I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't know what to do here. So I would just, you know, wait out a stretch while they're holding for two minutes or I would do something repetitive. And, uh, I, so then I got in contact with them because, uh, we did all the programming for the adaptive division, um, in Wadapalooza and, uh, we've actually done quite a few different events since then, but, um, I got in contact with them there and, uh, they flew me down just last week and we shot 10 videos, 10 different pathways, uh, for them that they're going to release, uh, which we're calling wheel ROM. So nice. wheel ROM, uh, on their platform, uh, we're going to re- release in about a month. And it's really my purpose behind it was to, especially for seated athletes, but adaptive athletes in general is the seated guys, you know, we're all good at stretching out our shoulders and, and, and keeping the chest open and, and, and working on the back, but you forget about your legs and your sits, your seating, like you're in a seated position all day. Um, your circulation starts to go to crap already with a, with a, an injury like this. And, you know, your muscles atrophy and, your, and and things get tight and short and you lose a lot of mobility that you don't realize is affecting you until you try to get out of your chair and do other things. Um, so for my message and why we did it was like, listen, you got to address your entire body just because you can't feel your feet, you know, doesn't mean we shouldn't be addressing our feet and our hamstrings and our calves and our quads and our hip flexors and everything else. Right. So we should, uh, that was it. And I've been doing it for a year, and when I first started, like no lie, I to do a straddle stretch, like feet out to the in front of me, I I was leaning back with my hands on the ground. I couldn't even sit like with my shoulders over top of my hips. My hamstrings were so tight they would not like I I couldn't get into that position. And I that's what made me realize I was like, oh, I'm I was like I'm a mess. Like, I, I, <laughs> I was like I hear I was thinking I could move pretty well, and I was like my hips were fused shut like so many years of basketball and hitting the floor being strapped to a chair never really opening it up and straightening up other than when i was laying in bed to go to sleep and and still even then a lot of times sleeping on my side so the legs are still slightly bent and uh it was from that that i i realized and now today a year later and this took me a full year and a bit like i can do a full out straddle bring my nose right to the floor and a forward fold like i i my mobility is through the roof uh on that end and I just uh, and I've been preaching it at people through Wheelwide, just being like, you got to look after yourself, you know. Like you, you've only got one set of shoulders. If you blow those shoulders out, uh, you're, it's not like you can just get up on crutches or whatever, right? Like you're you're down to two limbs most of the time at this point in time for the guys who are the seated guys. So you've got to take care of, your, of everything. And um, and yeah, Ramwad was was right on board, and uh, we're really looking forward to seeing that that series and pathway come out. How can they search if they just go to Romwad and search wheel wheel rod? It'll be wheel. Yeah, Rom, it'll be in there. Yeah, the, just go to romwad.com. Uh, it will be up. We just finished filming it, so it'll take them a bit to edit and get it uh, everything together. But uh, it will be up in the next month, and uh, we'll definitely be releasing that on on Wheelwad as well. Like wheelwad.com, we'll be letting nice. them know, throwing a link from there. But yeah, you just go in and uh, it'll be right off the main screen. It shows you. Uh, different things. They had like a uh, CrossFit Open Prep series up there for a bit. Uh, now they'll have, uh, 
depending on which event they're going to next. They had a Wadapalooza prep at one point in time. I think they might be doing some stuff with the Granite Games, but it'll be right there and, and nice. just a, another platform to, to yeah. work through. I have not looked at the program. I'll, I'll definitely go check it out because I know I know of people that use Rumblad. I just I've never I've never hopped on. It looks pretty interesting, so we'll have to check that out. Um, and I can relate with the tightness issue. <laughs> yeah, for me it was like you can I I can find twenty minutes a day, and I wasn't. And when I wasn't, it's the same reason I think CrossFit drew to me is like someone tells you what to do. You just have to follow along and listen, and they give you different progressions if you can't get it in. So you're just watching, listening. He's telling you how long to hold the stretch, when to come out, helping you focus on your breathing. Um, it's just really simple. It's just that same thing. Like if, if someone tells me, I think it's because I've been an athlete on a on a team and a coach and having a coach. Like if someone's telling me what to do, I'm much more likely to do it than to yeah. just go out and do it on my own type of thing, right? Especially things that aren't. <laughs> I it's not. It's not hard to go to the gym and shoot a basketball, but it's hard to go to the gym and say, you know, I'm going to stretch today. I, know. I mean, it's why yoga has never really appealed to me, even though I've, I, yeah. I know how good I feel after I go, which is rare. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just why it hasn't appealed. My, my personality doesn't fit. But I think with something like this, it's geared – and I'm not – this is not against yoga, but this this is more for Ramwa than it is against yoga. Yeah. For, for someone who – likes to be able to apply something to specific movements. Um, exactly. I think that's where they're hitting, hitting it right on the nail. So that's pretty cool. Well, the other thing is, is there's nobody, you're not in a class. Yeah. Right. So it's like, you can hit pause. You can just be like, Oh man, that stretch just blasted me. I need to hit pause. You can hit pause, like shake it out, get your shit together and then start going again. Or, or just not do that stretch. Like nobody's there judging you or looking at you. Like even I'm not saying like in yoga you're getting judged. I just always feel like I'm like behind in the class, right? Because I I don't move as well or I'm not <laughs> I'm not on the same pace. So I, that's what I loved about it. It's like you're on your own. You're, you can be by yourself. You can do it with friends. You can do it at the end of a class or you can do it at the you know I my preference the spot I like the most is just right before I go to bed. It helps me sleep better. Everything's relaxed before I jump in the bed and go to sleep but uh yeah it's just a fantastic program and um and we were lucky enough that uh that they let us jump in awesome man well we've covered a lot from from your early days to the the crazy injury and the six by two foot freaking grass landing that you landed on unbelievably like a cat well <laughs> you gave us a workout thousand meter row 15 10 and 5 i'll put that up on the site uh in shame, I'll put the video of me trying it here soon. <laughs> uh, we talked about your business a little bit, about your travels, what it was like to to get into the to the worlds and to the highest level of wheelchair basketball, which is pretty amazing. And some projects you're working on. I didn't mention you are a three fuel athlete, so you guys can check that out. Three fu three l dot com. That's Brian McKenzie's joint, who is of CrossFit Endurance fame, and uh, just doing all kinds of stuff. Man, go check out Will Water. I think that's your passion project. So I, I definitely yeah. want people to go over there. And uh, there, there are other things I want to talk about. I, know, I, I saw something about some endurance sports that you've done, some adventure stuff. So let's keep this conversation open for now. We'll, we'll do this again soon. I really appreciate the time. Sounds good. Yeah, I appreciate it too. Thanks for having me on. You guys were listening to Chris Stouty Stoutenberg, who's sharing his story from, uh, from an injury that a lot of people might have hold up on, but he went off to do some amazing things and uh, from – from early sports life to business night life now and he did his job he's inspiring people to uh to go do some cool things so definitely an athlete on fire thanks a lot guys for listening appreciate it